en hartelike goeiemorgen. Welkom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, die woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord. En Psalm 119, 105 sê, die woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraag laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendik kan worstel nie. Krij dus gauw jou Bijbel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. From your ear, to your heart, to your mouth, to your feet. Join this life on 657 AM. That's where you tune to, 657 AM. And uh, unlike WhatsApp, we are working, we here, we operating, and we've got the good news for you. Good morning, my brother. Good morning, my sister. Wherever you are. Good morning, Rocky Stevenson. How are you on this uh, beautiful Tuesday morning? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Vainant. It's wonderful to be here. Wonderful to be able to get you as well. We thank God for that. Yeah, uh, in spite of the traffic, I believe you had some uh, challenges, but uh, by the grace of God, you're here, you made it in time. And uh, for the next hour, we'll be at uh, uh, the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in deep reliance, trusting God through His Spirit to, uh, uh, well, infuse us with answers to supernaturally, give us the answers that we're seeking to find in God's Word. It's not for nothing that it's called the Bible, basic instruction before living eternally or leaving this earth. The Bible, it is God's Word. It's the blueprint for happy living. And if you're facing some challenges on this uh, Tuesday, chances are you will find the answers in uh, God's Word. So how do you participate? Uh, Seeing that WhatsApp uh, has got some challenges this morning, just in case, just in case, you can send it on Telegram, or you can be in touch with us on WhatsApp. We have tested before coming into the studio, and we've tested WhatsApp, and by the looks of it, uh, things are kind of back to normal. Not completely, but it looks like it, that we are kind of back to normal if uh, we uh, don't get your message on uh, WhatsApp. Uh, the ticks, the blue ticks, <laughs> then go to Telegram, and uh, Will can catch you there. Now, the good news is the Telegram number is exactly the same as the WhatsApp number, 082 657 2729. 082-657-2729. What questions are we talking about? Maybe somebody said something somewhere, somehow, that you feel should leave no stone unturned to find the answer to that question. Maybe you're facing a lifestyle question. Maybe you're facing a uh, issue from God's Word, something that just does not make sense to you. Uh, some people would say, why would a loving God send people to hell? Well, why would uh, you, if you can choose a loving God, choose to go to hell? That's the other side of the coin. But uh, those are the things that we are discussing in this program. And ons doen so tot en met so 5 voor 12 oogend. So, as jy een vraag het, wat jy graag wil vraag, stuur het vir ons in 082-657-2729. So, tussen die heer, uh, gaan ons ook in na muziek luister. Ons kop af met Gary. Gary, bless your heart, my brother. Hopefully you're listening this morning. And thank you for sending in this question. question. Gary asked, why do we have books of the Bible that we have and not others? Only the 66 books. Why not 
um, die apokrieve boeken nie, is waarna Gary verwees, and uh, he says, why are they not considered as part of the Bible, or ancient books that have been discovered, like the Gospel of Judas? Do we have an answer from God's word? What do we say with regards to that? And keeping Second Timothy uh, 3.16, I think it is. All of God's word is, is, is holy breath, uh, breathe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What do we answer, Gary? Yeah, um, this, this has quite a couple of questions in it, um, all in one question. But firstly, some of the books like the Gospel of Judas, or what they say, the Gospel according to Judas, Though they have recently been found by archaeologists, I even remember seeing something regarding this on a National Geographic kind of an interview, and they make as though this is the greatest thing since sliced cheese that they found. But we as Christians have known about these Gnostic writings, and that is what it is. It is a Gnostic writing, and it is a heresy that had come up, and there were many books that were written by Gnostics. And they they first came when they first came out, they were refuted by Christians, and they were refuted by the early church fathers. So we know about them, and we know much of the content of these books from church history. And so even though fragments now have been found, and people start to make a big hoo-ha about that, we've known about these things, and the early church fathers have written about these things. We know that the origin of such materials were very much satanically inspired in order to bring about confusion. And so these are heresies, and they want to bring this contradiction to the rest of what the Scripture teaches. This is one of the reasons why John wrote what he did in 1 John 4, verse 1 to 6. And John says this in, in that marvelous epistle. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, one of the reasons he says that is because Gnosticism began to become an issue in John's day at that time. And he was the last apostle that was alive at this point, And he was writing to warn the church against this idea. And part of Gnosticism said that Jesus came and he looked like flesh, but he actually wasn't flesh. He came as spirit that looked like flesh. And so his flesh really wasn't there because the Gnostics believed that it was the flesh that was sinful. So then how could Jesus have the flesh? And so they denied what we call the hypostatic union, the fact that Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And so Jesus says this, anyone that says that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. If we confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it's from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ is not from God. So if you don't have the Jesus of the New Testament, you don't have Jesus. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that he is coming, that it is coming rather, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because great is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world hears them. We are from God. The one who hears God, or sorry, knows God, hears us. The one who is not from God does not hear us. So John is making a a very big statement there, saying those that actually listen to the apostles and listen to the New Testament teaching, those are people that are from God. Those that do not listen to this is not from God. 
And when these guys speak, they speak to the world and the world hears them. That's exactly what we find even today with something like the gospel according to Judas. National Geographic makes a huge thing about it. What a wonderful thing that we found this gospel according to Judas. And they ignore the rest of the scriptures and they make a big thing out of this. So John um, was writing about some of this. Now, what about this gospel according to Judas? Well, Judas committed suicide. Remember that? Matthew 27, 1 to 10 says, Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel together against Jesus to put him to death and they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor then when Judas who had betrayed him saw that he had been condemned he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders saying I have sinned by betraying innocent blood and they said what is it to us see it see to it yourself and he threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury since it is the price of blood. And taking counsel together, they bought with the money the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. And so we see that Judas actually committed suicide. So the gospel according to Judas was written between 300 and 400 A.D. That's during the time when many of the Gnostic writings were written, whereas Judas had already killed himself around 33 AD. So this wasn't even written by Judas, but somebody comes and writes this fiction and says this is Judas's account. And inside of that account, it goes against all of the other Gospels. It talks about how Mary Magdalene was actually the wife of Jesus and all of this nonsense that, yeah. that actually comes contrary to what the scriptures say and many prominent um, gnostics were writing these things uh, what who they acclaim to be the the head of the gnostics or the guy who started this was a guy named valentinius who was born in carthage around 100 a.d and so many of these writings had happened so many years after eyewitness accounts of what the life of jesus was like there's another gospel according to thomas that they wrote about as well so it's it's good to actually look at this and go when was this written was it written when it was eyewitness accounts of who Jesus is. Which Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, indeed. Indeed, there were eyewitness accounts, wasn't it? Definitely. Right. And so Gnosticism falls into that um, same trap yeah. of what Satan did to Eve. Did God really say? The question uh, mark. Eh? That's the question mark. Mm-hmm. You know, can, well, take this writing above what you have in the New Testament Bible. And it's really no different to what now is, is being called <laughs> neo-Gnosticism today, mm. where people are adding to the scriptures or minusing from the scriptures. And it's really a worship of knowledge. And, and this is part of this issue. There's, there is a group that they say is... Um, let's say descendants of the early Gnostics in ancient Mesopotamia and they've got about 70,000 that's what the plus minus figures of ad- adherence worldwide yeah. um, they call it Mandanarianism or something to that effect and it's really this worship of knowledge and not, not of God so regarding why the books that we have are the 66 books so that question had a number of little questions yeah, yeah. in it the early church applied a stringent test called the test of canonicity. And when we talk about the canon, we're talking about the completed 66 books, the 39 Old Testament books, the 27 New Testament books. And there was the stringent test of canonicity to see which of these books actually make it in to this, to, to the closed canon. And the apocryphal books were written outside of the time frame, and they did not pass this test. And so that's right. why the apocryphal books are not part of this. And it means that they, they didn't actually 
It, it doesn't mean that they don't have factually correct information. You know, some of what we have in the Apocrypha is factually correct, but it's simply not inspired. Like you could have a history book that has facts that are true facts, but it's not inspired by God. In other words, breathed out by God yeah. and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be uh, matured. So the apocryphal books were written between 200 B.C. and 100 A.D., many of them between what is called the new or or rather the intertestamental period. That was a 400-year period between Malachi and John the Baptist, and God was um, known to have been prophetically silent during that period. Jesus even attests to that. And so you have some of these books actually written during a phase when God was actually not speaking to his people prophetically. So it doesn't mean that books were not written. Many books were written, but they just simply were not inspired books. So depending on how you would count them, there could be about 14 or 15 books which are um, lumped together as called the apocryphal books. So then wanted to touch just briefly on the test of canonicity, and this is very much condensed. The early church councils applied several basic standards in, re- in recognizing whether a book was inspired. Firstly, they asked, is it authoritative? Mm. In other words, thus saith the Lord. You know, did God actually say that this is what he's saying? Yeah, so is that yeah. book authoritative? I um, immediately think of, of Esther, where God's name doesn't appear in it. Yes, it's God's name doesn't even appear in the book of Esther. And, and, yet, and yet it's there. And yet it's there. Yeah. And yet it is also as test that it's passed that test of canonicity. It is a little bit easier even with some of the Old Testament books because already those 39 books were recognized by the Jews even in Jesus' day oh, as right. biblical. It, it becomes a little bit more... Um, of a task with some of the New Testament books and even some of the reformers which came, you know, 500 years ago. I mean, Martin Luther 503 years ago nailed that 95 thesis on the door and um, and he didn't like a book like the book of James because yeah. he couldn't um, kind of reconcile how does James talk about that if you don't have works, your faith is dead and yet Paul speaks about how it's only by faith that you saved. And, and he was battling to reconcile these concepts, which we have no problem with today actually reconciling and looking at and saying, Paul wasn't saying that you should not have any works that are in accordance with your faith. And, and that's part of what James was saying. So somebody like Martin Luther, if he was back in the early church, he might have said, no, no, let's leave the book of James out. But, <laughs> but he couldn't because All that right. was already valid, validified. So the next test is, is it prophetic? Yeah. You know, is this a man of God that is saying this? Second Peter one verse verse twenty. Is it a prophetic thing? And then a book in the Bible must have the authority of a spiritual leader of Israel. For example, in the Old Testament you'd have a prophet king or a priest or a judge or a scribe. You'd have this spiritual leader of Israel that was involved in the writing of this book. Or an apostle of the New Testament, because we know that the, the church is even founded on the prophets and the Apostles. So in the New Testament, it must have been based on the testimony of an original apostle. For example, a book like the book of Mark was written by John Mark, who was very likely the young man that ran away from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and they grabbed his cloak and yeah, it was there. Because, because, yeah. because only Mark touches on that account. And yeah. so it was likely Mark at that point. But he wrote that uh, that that New Testament gospel account underneath the apostleship of Peter. Luke wrote his gospel under the apostleship of Paul. And so you have this direct correlation between the the writer of that New Testament book and one of the original apostles. It is 
is it authentic is the next question is that in other words is it consistent with other revelation or truth does this book fit into the grand theme of the rest of the scriptures and then the next question was is it dynamic in other words does it demonstrate god's life-changing power hebrews 4 verse 12 for example speaks on that way two-edged sword and it cuts between joint and marrow and is it changing the life of the individual and then is it is it received is it accepted and used by believers? You know, First Thessalonians 2 verse 13 touches on this. And so they would look at this and, and how this history of canonization came about. We had the Old Testament canon, which was recognized, and, and it recognized the correct Old Testament books. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Well, one, Christ referred to the Old Testament books as Scripture, Matthew 21 verse 4. The Council of um, Jamia, which was AD 90, officially recognized our 39 Old Testament books at that council. And then Josephus, who was one of the Jewish historians, was actually not a Christian guy, but a Jewish historian in AD 95, indicated that the 39 books were recognized as authoritative by the Jews already at that point. Right. And then the New Testament canon, which is the 27 New Testament books, were recognized the correct New Testament books. We had the apostles that claimed authority for their writings, like Colossians 3.16, 1 Thessalonians 5.27, 2 Thessalonians 3. 14, and then the apostles' writings were equated with Old Testament scripture by even somebody like Peter, Second Peter 3 verse 1. Um, we've got the Council of Athanasius, which was A.D. 367, and the Council of Carthage, A.D. 397, which recognized the 27 books of the New Testament today. But they all had to pass that test of canonicity. Yeah, yeah. There's um, four further reasons, just briefly, to reject the inspiration of the Apocrypha, as we touched on the Apocrypha a bit early on. And we've got a couple of reasons for that. Firstly, the Jews never, ever accepted the Apocrypha as Scripture. So that's one big reason. Right. You know, they never, ever accepted well, that. Well, they're the nation that God used to reveal himself unto all the other nations. Exactly. The and so, so these these books that were, point there. They were written outside of this intertestamental period or out yeah. of that um, that that time frame, and they didn't recognize it. And then secondly, the, the Apocrypha itself, those books of the Apocrypha, never actually claimed to be inspired themselves. So, thus says the Lord was absent in all of the Apocrypha books. In fact, in First Maccabees, which is one of the Apocryphal books, chapter 9, verse 27, explicitly denies that it is inspired. Thus says the Lord. Yeah, it is not yeah. scripture, in other words. And then thirdly, the Apocrypha is never ever quoted as authoritative in the scriptures. Although, in Hebrews 11, verse 35 to 38, it alludes to a historical event which is recorded in Second Maccabees 6, verse 18 to 7, verse 42. So the point I'm making there is that there were historical accounts inside of the apocryphal books that were true historically. Yeah. And so a book that like correlates. Hebrews, yes, Hebrews actually touches on something that is written about mm -hmm. in Maccabees, but it doesn't mean that what was written in Maccabees was inspired, even though it may be act, um, actually true fact, factually as such. And then in Matthew tw 23, verse 35, Jesus implies that the close of the Old Testament historical scriptures was at the death of Zechariah, which was 400 BC. And so this then excludes any books that were written after Malachi before John the Baptist came. 
as the prophet that now was preparing the way for, for Jesus. So I hope that's helpful to the listener, and thank you to Gary for that question. Yeah, Gary, bless your heart, and thank you for taking part in this program. And, uh, well, so uh, sometimes uh, people send in questions, want to say this as a sideline remark, and they think, well, we're ignoring them. But a question like this we've had a couple of times in the past four or five years that we've done this program, and uh, we tackle them, and then we walk away from it for uh, some time to come. Until we see there's a lot of questions with regards uh, to that. Had a uh, question from, I just want to check with, uh, with uh, the Rocky, Rocky Naledi's question up next. Are you happy yep, with that yep, one? No, happy. All right. She said, I had load shedding. Hello, Naledi. Thank you so much for uh, taking part in the program. She says, I had load shedding last week when you were about to answer if we can speak to the dead. Does such people as mediums exist, and can the dead see people, uh, us as people in this world? Do they know what we're up to and what we're doing in this world? And then all of a sudden darkness descended upon her, and she could not hear the answer. I think that's an, uh, that's an apt <laughs> reply to it. But, uh, Rocky, how do we, how do we answer Naledi on that one? Uh, and I think that we've, we've done it last week, but yeah. let's just uh, uh, recap quickly. Quite, quite an irony that load yeah. shedding can stop you from talking to the living. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, quite an irony. Um, yeah, to, to Naledi's question, the only, wa- the only place in all of Scripture where we actually see actively a dead person being spoken to was when Saul went to the medium And she actually got such a fright when Samuel came up because she knew that most of this was, well, all of this was really demonic. But God in his sovereignty allowed the actual spirit of Samuel to come up and speak to Saul. And part of the judgment was that Saul and Jonathan later on would die in battle. Now, what we see, necromancing and mediums and witches and all of this was in the Old Testament completely outlawed. They were to actually be put to death because of the wicked, evil, demonic thing which they were doing. And so the New Testament um, as well never ever gives a place for speaking to the dead. What we do have is really demons that would know what has happened with the dead before and then bring that to to bear and, and they would um, come forward. And so demons definitely exist. Yeah. But the Bible tells us that for the Christian to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yes. That's the, that's the state of the Christian. And those that have actually rejected Christ would go to what's called hell Gehenna, which is like a hell waiting room. All that's right. awaiting the final judgment where they would be then cast into the lake of fire along with Satan and the demons, which is a place that was prepared for Satan and the demons. So there's a, no a, such a place of horror. A we place need of to absolute horror, a, a absolute mind blowing, yeah. skull numbing horror. Yeah. And so there's no, there's no such thing as speaking to the dead or conjuring up the dead. When anything like that happens, it really is demonic. Oh, and, right. um, and that's what we see throughout the, the scriptures. The only other, I mean, there's another place where you think of, um, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration yeah. and you have Elijah and uh, Moses that appear with him. Yeah. And Peter yeah. says, Hey, this is so good. We should, we should build booths for yeah. Yeah, you yeah. three to stay. But that was there. These, our God is not a God of the dead. He's a God of the living. Yes. Yesterday, and Jesus today even and says that. He says mm-hmm. that, you know, God is the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He's not God of the dead. He's God yeah. of the living. And All so right. God in his, in his mercy at that point sends Moses and Elijah to show that how the law and the prophets 
are actually pointing towards the Lord Jesus. And the, the voice from on high says, this is my son of yeah. whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Oh, right. And so you see the transition um, through the Mount of Transfiguration of going, now God is going to be speaking through his son. And that's what Hebrews makes that point in Hebrews chapter All 1. Right. So you want to hear what God has to say? You go and listen to what Jesus has to say. All right. We don't call up the dead, etc. All right. So, But culturally, there is culturally in this world certain groupings of people who believe very much in, in communicating with the death, in, in communicating with the ancestors, so to speak. And, and one should be very aware of that, that this is not scriptural. This is yeah. not an instruction. The question that she also asks is, can the dead, do they know what we as the living are doing in this world? It, it, it does seem, you know, if you're looking at Hebrews, it talks about how there's this great cloud of witnesses yes. that are witnessing the, the 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 run that we have in this life, yeah. it would seem that that's the closest that we could say um, some of those that are heroes of the faith that have gone before us. So that was Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 11 is that great hall of faith kind of section. And it would seem that there is a witnessing of Christians running the race. And there's However, this kind of cheering on in a sense. But in the book not, of Lazarus, I'm just thinking of the book of Lazarus, the story of Lazarus. Uh, <laughs> where, yeah, 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 where, 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 you know, this, the rich man says, please send somebody to go and tell uh, my uh, brothers. That, that, I'm yes. now reminded because he couldn't see what's going on on earth. He yes. couldn't see what his brothers was up yes, to. Yes, yeah, and there was that great chasm between yeah. him and, and there he's so thirsty. He's saying, please send Lazarus to just dip his finger in some water. Come drop it on my tongue. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and he's there in what's, what's called Abraham's bosom. And yeah. so that's another concept as well of what the Old Testament saints would go to what's called Abraham's bosom. Right. And they, they were waiting for Christ to die buried resurrection waiting for the messiah yeah. and so there was that chasm and so you do see some of these indications even through what our lords and but we do need to remember that that was a parable there's different views on that parable some would say that that was an account that jesus actually knew really happened because he uses the name lazarus and he talks about this um he doesn't actually give us the name of the rich man but he gives yeah. us the name of lazarus and says yeah he has this guy and so it would seem that it's possible that that was a real account that Jesus was retelling of what actually happened there. Um, yeah, so very, very fascinating. So it does seem, you know, there's no real conclusive thing. The only place in the New Testament that I can think of is that great cloud of witnesses. But it wouldn't seem yeah. that they are, you know, like kind of looking through your ceiling at what you're doing in your yeah, house yeah, when yeah. you, I don't know, play, you know. Yeah, know, praying going about your daily life. About your yeah. daily life. All right, okay, and so uh, tying in nicely with this, now, Lily, I hope it answers your question. Uh, that ancestral worship—it uh, is a definite no-no according to the Word of God—that uh, we should stay clear of these things. Uh, yes, there are people who who are mediums and uh, uh, operate as mediums, but then again, God's Word very clear on that as well. So, somebody asked a question with regards to Halloween, uh, and I think that. That ties very, very nicely in with that. Let's uh, get to that uh, question. And I think that came from Karen. Karen that says, I'm anti-Halloween, but would like to know uh, if Halloween is mentioned any place in the Bible. What does the Word of God say with regards to that? And, and, and again, we are back with mediums, with spiritists, uh, almost like uh, one of the uh, preachers, was, two evangelists were saying, all the tree huggers and the moon howlers. We're back with these guys once again. Yeah, yeah. and it's a good question because on the 31st of October is what is called Halloween. 
And so that's coming up. And no, the Bible never, ever mentions Halloween. Halloween is celebrated by the pagan world on the 31st of October. And its traditions actually contradict and conflict with the Bible teachings. What we actually have is just another day that the world has money ma- money making in mind. All and right. so they market this thing and they seek to make money out of it. And people have just fallen into it lock, stock and barrel. And one of the three most important days on the Satanist calendar, isn't definitely, it? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And the amount of people that, I mean, children that actually go missing even during the time like Halloween is insane. Horrendous, look yeah. uh, worldwide. And it is. It's a, it's a time that actually was set aside by pagans for human sacrifices. Yeah. And they were practicing the, those things during the times of the Druids and the witches and the um, just different witchcraft that happened even in the United Kingdom type of an area. And even the place like Stonehenge was used for the sacrifice of human beings, in particular young virgins, yeah. as they would go around. And even something like trick or treat uh, was something that they would go around as these druids and witches and they'd yeah. go to castles and they'd knock on the door and they'd say trick or treat and if the people inside needed to actually give a young virgin so that that young virgin could be sacrificed and if they refused to then they would say trick rather than the treat because they then then they yeah. would actually lay a curse on that castle yeah. and it would seem that the that this demonic practice would cause uh, one of the people inside of that castle to die and it would keep the people in such fear that instead they would say no we'll rather give you the treat let's give you this young virgin yeah, to be yeah, yeah. to be murdered and so the the history of halloween is actually so horrendously horrible that it's 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 shocking to think that many it's christians darkness personified. Oh, that, that so many christians would so easily actually just accept this you know and and what and would you run say what would you say to mothers fathers listening to us right now and say listen there's a good side and a bad side to it i'm simply you know bought my kid a witch's hat it's for a party it's nothing serious it's all light-hearted and uh you know there's the old saying uh, don't try and find satan behind every yeah. bush what do we say with pers- the regards pers- personally i would say that there's no good side to it at all nothing and at all yet, um um, yet there is much grace from our Lord because every day has been sanctified for the Christian. Every day is a day to worship the Lord. We yes. don't actually have any specific day that we now make more special than another day. Right. Every single day we worship the Lord on that day. Uh, we do have the Lord's Day where we assemble as the body of believers. Yes. But every single day has been sanctified to the believer. The The origins of something like um, like this, Halloween, is absolutely wicked in its origins and the desire from the world at this time this time is to just make money out of that yeah and to to make it this thing that's this fun thing that you run around with pumpkins on your head or whatever it is and it's a pagan festival and when you realize that as a christian then you're culpable you know it may be that you were you didn't know that you weren't and there's a level of ignorance that you have towards that. And it doesn't mean that you don't have consequences for yeah. sins of ignorance. But it's a different thing when you know that something actually is celebrating something that is pagan. All right. And then you're actually allowing your kids to do that as well. And All so right. you're training up your kids to now celebrate something that has wicked origins. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that that is where the responsibility comes for the Christian to actually step back and go, let's, let's be mindful yeah. about what we do. I, we spoke actually in your office a little bit earlier about how my people perish from their lack of knowledge. Yeah. As Christians, we ought to be the most knowledgeable regarding the things that we yeah, do. Very much and we're so. culpable yeah. in that regard. We have the word of God at our fingertips. And so we, to whom much has been given, much will be required. And, and we're to be a holy people. 
a people that are separate from this world. And that's part of the intention that yeah. God has for the church, yeah. is be a people that are alike to the nations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that you could prepare in different ways as a family if you're in a complex. Because today, people don't just walk around in the streets of Joburg or Pretoria doing this trick-or-treat stuff. It's mm. usually inside of the complexes where yes. you will maybe yeah, have well, kids yeah. that do that. And I would, I would say, you know, as Christians, you could be ready to to give the scriptures to yeah. children that maybe come to your door. Yeah. You could open it up and actually, you know, I don't know. Use it as an opportunity to evangelize evangelize and talk to them about the Lord Jesus. But it's saturated. The whole thing, Halloween itself, is saturated in death with with all these skulls and spiders and and mummies and death. So steer clear from it. And don't forget, there's a world watching. If you claim that you are Christian, but you allow your kids to do this, uh, you know what? We become a stumbling block unto people who could find the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. So steer clear from it. Coming Friday, Rocky, God willing, we'll do a whole program in Brunpunt. That's between 6.30 and 7 o'clock on it. Uh, we're uh, rounding the corner now. We're in the straight and narrow for the 31st of October, yes. the high day of Halloween. Uh, it's it's saturated with uh, Satanism as well. So uh, coming Friday, we'll do a whole program on that half an hour. That's between 6.30 and 7 o'clock. And that's Right here on Radio Pulpit Coming Friday morning You can listen to that as well It will be podcasted as well Any final thoughts on this? Final thoughts um, 1 Corinthians 8 Verse 8 to 13 Is a passage where Paul talks about Food that's offered to idols And he actually makes the point of saying There are actually no idols And all food has been sanctified God has made all food special But he makes this point To the Christians there And he says this himself He says if I know If you come to know That this food actually was offered to to an idol. Now in Corinth, they would actually, basically the butcher was the pagan temple. Yeah. And so any meat that you had would have been blessed by some pagan priest. And he's saying, but if you come to know and you're sitting with a, with a, with a person that you're eating with and they set food before you and they say, this food was offered to an idol. He says, rather than abstain, abstain from, from that. it. Yes. You know, because it's been told to you now, this is a, this is a food that's been offered. You can't to an claim idol. ignorance now. You know, yeah. Now you, now you also been watched yeah. by that unbeliever and by others. Is this guy going to eat this stuff that was offered to a demon? Yeah. You know, basically. Yeah. And, and, and Paul saying rather abstain from that. And then he makes the point of saying, if you know that the conscience of yeah. your brothers is going to be pricked, by the fact that you're eating this food. Right. He says, I'll rather not do it. And he actually says that towards the end in verse 13. He says, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. He says, right. I'll go that far as to not even eat meat again if I know that it's going to cause a brother to stumble. Right. Um, ever so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. And All so right. I think that we've got to think through that even with our own practices in our day, with what we are doing, thinking about, you know, what, what is it that may be causing my brothers or sisters to stumble mm, with what I'm doing. Somebody's watching, somebody's and, listening. And this, this is, I think, maybe something to appeal to as well. When we have pagan practices that are happening around us and yeah. we start to take part in that, yeah. I think we've got to be careful in, in that degree. Uh, what I would say again as another thought is what are your children actually being entertained by? Yeah. Because many a times they're getting this through the cartoons of the world and they're getting this through that. And now I know that I'm stepping on extra toes. Some parents think that the only way to keep a child happy is toss them an iPad and then they just watch the next thing that park they want to watch. Park them in front of the TV, you know, the shortage pipe in your living but, room. But so much of mm. what we have in the world, and even at a time like this, will be will be driving this Halloween type of a 
uh, agenda. agenda. Yeah. Mm. And so you'll see that on the kids' cartoons, it will be little witches and little um, zombies and mm. little pumpkin head things. And, and, and they make it as though it's so, you know, it's glossed over. And yeah. that's what the world does with this stuff. They mm. make it look like it's good. Even if you go look and up, you know, something like Hollywood, mm. the, the actual word Hollywood is what they would make the, the um, what do you call it, the ones out of. Mm. You know, Hollywood itself is actually steeped in pagan worship and, pa- yeah. and pagan things and, and witchcraft. And it's so, a sorcery is such a big thing. Advertising department for hell itself. Exactly. Right. Now, I mean, mm. you go and try and think, and try and name one of the famous actors that's actually born again, yeah. a born again wow. Christian. Yeah. They're few and far between. They are, yeah. they are ones, but they're few and far between. Right, uh, Karen, bless your heart. Thank you so much for a very good question. Tell you what, Icasa uh, says we have to play some music. Somebody had posted a very interesting question. Wearing a cross around my neck, uh, could that be a curse? Ons is so lief om die kruis om die nek te dra. Baie mense, ja, ek is nou christen, ek het die kruis om die nek. Toe die oud pastoor gesê, as ek jou kind met die revolver vermoore, toe kom sal ek die revolverkie om my nek wil gaan dra. It's the cross that killed Christ. It's uh, not the cross itself, it's Christ on the cross. And we're going to tackle that one when we come back. Koos Eminus, jy het een baie interessante vraag gevra. Thank you so much. Naledi says the explanation was in depth and helpful. Bless your heart. Thank you so much, Naledi, for taking part in the program. Ons het vir Mark Bishop op die draaitafel. Can I pray for you? Can we pray for you on the run-up? To the end of this month and the challenges that we as Christians are facing in this world that we stay true to God's word. Can I pray for you? When we come back, we'll tackle the last bit in the home stretch. Uh, scriptural, skriftierlik vir oogend. 082-657-2729 As jy dalke vraag of twee het wat jy graag wil deersteer. Maar eers, Mark Bishop, can I pray for you? That's where you tune to. Good morning to you. Well, if you've joined us, you're just literally in time for the uh, end stretch, taking us to 12 o'clock, 5 to 12, after which Sibong Gilliam of King will take over. Right, let's get to it immediately with the time permissible. Is it a curse to wear a cross around my neck? I've met an old pastor that said, Man, why would you want to hang a murder weapon around your neck? Because days of old, the Roman Empire used that as a murderous weapon to scare off people. And uh, Christ indeed was killed. The, the, the Bible says, accursed is he who hang on a tree. So the question that John is asking, is it a curse to wear a cross around my neck? Mm. Uh, what does the Bible say? Is it the cross? Is it Christ on the cross? Is it Christ off the cross? Is there any power in the cross? Uh, can we ask all these questions? Yeah, um, Deuteronomy twenty one twenty three says, his body shall not remain all night on the tree. But you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So it's amazing that in Deuteronomy we see that, a, that you actually are cursed when you hang on a tree. And then Jesus, our Lord, I mean, that the cross hadn't, well, the tree, being hanged on a tree was a curse. The Romans actually perfected this torture strategy of making a cross and it was the most cruel way of somebody dying. Horrendous, and wasn't Jesus it? was placed on the cross. And Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. And so our Lord Jesus actually became a curse as he hung on that tree. And he took the curse 
and he fulfilled what God had said. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. So a simple answer would be, no, it's not a curse to hang a cross around your neck. You're not on the cross, and Jesus has already redeemed us from the curse by going to the cross. The next question would be, well, should you wear a cross? Now, I think that there is a level of liberty, but it's like you said earlier, when you understand what the cross actually stands for, now you make this beautiful little, I don't know, gold cross and you have a little diamond in it and you think that that's something special, etc. You know, some Christian puts a big cross tattoo on their back because they think that that's kind of cool. I think we need to think about what are some of the reasons behind why we would the motive of the heart. What is some of the motive of the heart? And the Lord is so much more concerned about what is your heart motive than what he is about these things. But it's not that you now are taking this cross and it's suddenly a, a curse to you. What what I would also say is that there there tends to be some kind of a de- demonic um, fascination regarding something like a crucifix, like Jesus still on the cross. And that's where I would say you've got to be careful as well. If you have a doctrine that says that Jesus is still on the cross and that you can lose your salvation and you must get your salvation again and you have some kind of a superstitious kind of a, a devotion towards yeah. this crucifix and towards Jesus on the cross kind of a thing. Then you're forgetting the fact that Jesus died once for all for the sin of the world and that he was buried and that he rose again and that we serve a risen savior. And so I do think that we need to see some of the heart motive behind us, but it's not a curse as per se to wear a cross. I just don't know if it's necessarily the wisest thing for the Christian, etc. And maybe you use it in evangelism, etc. I don't know, but um, I do think that we do have a level of liberty. Um, but we should think about what is the purpose of why we do something or why we wear something and, yeah. and what is behind that. Well, ultimately, I've met some people and I've seen some people who think nothing of it uh, to walk around with a cross around the neck. And when you inquire about that, say, well, because I'm Christian, if you start digging deeper, you find that they haven't been reborn as yet. But they use this to, to, to tell the world they, they put themselves in a category with that. And say, by wearing this cross, uh, by default, I'm now Christian. And that's that's also a lie from the yeah, and I think I think that there's a lot of superstition that is involved with these things. And people think, okay, well, I'm going to have safety now from Satan if I'm wearing or this Or putting cross crosses or, above you know, your exactly. door at, at, at yes, home. Yes, and, and I think that we it, it gives you a, an opportunity to even evangelize an individual like that and to actually s- strike up a conversation regarding the cross and the fact that the cross is an empty cross. You do get some churches that actually hold to a view. Um, I can't remember the name right now. and I, I had it in the tip of my head. But they they will not hold up any symbols at yeah. all inside of their their, their buildings. They oh. won't have a cross. They won't have any of that because they say that that we need to be anti any kind of symbols. Yeah. In that way, and I think Christ that would maybe I think that would maybe be going a little bit far on one side oh. as well to a degree. And I think we shouldn't have a superstitious view regarding a cross, but we also shouldn't necessarily get to a place where we can't. Um, think about what the cross actually symbolizes. And, and I do think that there is something powerful regarding just the idea of the fact that we have an empty cross. Yeah. We don't have Jesus on the cross anymore. Yeah. He has conquered the cross and he has taken the curse for us. And as we keep our theology right with regard to that, I think it, with a heart that is set upon the Lord, um, it's very different from, let's say, a superstitious All right. view. All right. Thank you so much for that one, John. Thank you for that uh, question. Hope that answers it for you and gives you some more uh, a clear thought on that. Uh, time is caught up with us. Jeremiah 41. 
4 and verse 21, we read that people were burning incense to idols. And then you still get people burning incense in their houses as an excuse to hide their smoking habit. Is this acceptable in the eyes of the Lord? Well, I think let's, uh, that's, that's, there's a lot of hidden questions uh, in that uh, one sentence. Uh, smoking is not of the Lord, is it, uh, Rocky? <laughs> no, look, I think we, 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 we need to not be ruled by anything. Yeah. Um, and when you've got something addiction. that actually an addiction that rules yeah. you, you can go to the Lord and ask him to, to save you from that. Well, he set me free from you know? smoking many years ago. He used yeah. to smoke for 10 years. Asked, beg, plead the Lord, and he set me completely free. Did you smoke or did you suck? Well, I suck because okay, I smoke. No, no, cigarette smoked. <laughs> yeah, somebody said you shouldn't smoke. You should be on fire for the Lord. I'm reminded you know? of this um, the story about, a, I think yeah. it was a Gideon story where a guy was handing out Bibles inside of the oh, uh, yes. the prisons. Yeah. And um, the one prisoner came to him to ask for another Bible. He said, no, but you already, you've actually, what did you do with the last one I gave you? No, I smoked yeah. that one because yeah. it's got nice um, paper to yeah, roll nice the paper. tobacco in. So he said, okay, well, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you another Bible if you promise to read the paper before you smoke it all right and so the prisoner got that and he starts here and he comes back a little while ago and the man's completely changed he's no longer smoking nothing yeah. you know he's like turned completely yeah. to yeah. the lord and he says no what happened he says well i smoked through matthew and i smoked through mark and i smoked through luke but when i got to john john smoked through me so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in a um, natural and the burning of incense to hide your smoking is just another motive of the heart yeah, not, not, not right. every action that's done by people is yeah. pagan worship yeah. you know so when yeah. somebody is lighting some incense there was incense even in the bible i think we got to be careful to kind of say okay well now somebody's doing this as a pagan practice yeah. you know somebody's lighting some I, incense in their home because they wanted to smell a bit better because they made it smell bad by smoking yeah. i think be gentle towards that individual Pray for that individual that the Lord would work in them and, and don't discount something like progressive um, progressive sanctification mm. the fact that God deals with these people Romans 14 talks about us being if we are under Christ we are his servant he is the master and we will give an account to him right. and so I think pray for that individual and uh, but if you've got a smoking habit you know go to the Lord ask him to heal you of this and then put plans in place to to not be mm. ruled by anything in your and, life uh, just to add to what Rocky had said I still smoked for three years after the Lord saved my life sanctified cleansed completely God spoke to my heart and says, get rid of the bodies of the dead kings out of my temple. And so I can testify, Jesus can set you free. Rocky, time to love and leave you, my brother. If somebody wants to be in touch with you, email you, be in touch with you. How do they get hold of you? Pastor at BenoniBibleChurch.co.za Simple as that. Pastor at BenoniBibleChurch.co.za Next week, God willing, we'll be tackling some more questions. Thank you for keeping this program very interesting, very informative, and uh, all the glory and honor to our Lord, King, and Savior through His Holy Spirit, who helped us to answer these questions. Ultimately, the responsibility lies now with you. You've listened to a very interesting program, but the responsibility lies now with you to go and search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. Acts 17, 11. Give God the glory. Till next time, keep well. God bless you and shalom.